0: In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Hello and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my Time Capsule is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they would like to preserve in a Time Capsule. They choose four things that they cherish, and one thing that they would like to be rid of, something they want to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My guest in this episode is the actor Chisi Akadulu, who played the surgeon Moa Fanga in Holby City for five years. She was also a contestant on the 15th series of Strictly Come Dancing, having previously taken part in Let's Sing and Dance for Comic Relief. She's most recently been part of the Loose Women team. She's been on Celebrity MasterChef, The Weakest Link, Impossible Celebrities, Richard Osman's House of Games and hosted the TV series Chef vs. Corner Shop and Creating a Scene. Her acting roles include Hapless, Too Close, County Lines, Hetty Feather, Death in Paradise, Shakespeare and Hathaway, Silent Witness, Scoop, Campus, 2012, The Inbetweeners, Gogglebiz, Jinx, Stupid... And the film In The Loop. I had a really lovely time chatting with Chizzy, although we've never actually met. In fact, when I don't know one of my guests, I like to chat a bit before we start, so we can both relax. This is the sort of thing we chat about.
2: Right, okay, so I am pressing record now, so I am recording. gorgeous.
0: That's fantastic. Do you know what I was explaining to somebody the other day is how I do self-tapes. Give us
2: some tips, please, because I I suck at self-tapes. Basically,
0: I leave a gap for the other person's line so I don't get people to read in. Oh! And then later on, I sit down with my phone and I dub the voices on.
2: Do you know what, right? Because I've always thought that is the best way to do it because you don't have to get a reader in. They say, oh, don't do it by yourself. So do you do a different voice then when you... you... Yeah.
0: Never once have they ever picked me up on it. Never once have they said, that's you doing all of it, isn't it? I've even done female voices. I've just
2: got a bit higher. It's a bit silly. It's ridiculous, really. And they, they accept it. That's brilliant. Because sometimes I can't find someone to do it, and I've been doing them via Zoom. It's not great. And nobody really, let's be honest, no actor really wants to be doing your self-tape. They want to be doing their own. Yeah. I, know.
0: I did a thing where my son read in, mm. and the casting agent rang me up and said, who was the actor who read with No! Me? I went, mean, fuck off.
2: <laughs> He's like an actor. He's my son. He doesn't act. <laughs> <laughs> now that's not fair. Is this part of the podcast, what we're doing right now? Maybe,
0: I don't know. Okay. I doubt it. Yeah, and as you can see... It's a bit too much about acting and our shared profession. And it's a little bit sweary. But it certainly relaxed us both. We then went on to find out what Chizzy treasured and the one thing she'd like to get rid of. Now, this episode does contain talk of depression and its effects on Chizzy. If you're affected by this, there are links in the description of this episode for various sites that may be able to help or tell you more. Anyway... Here's the interview proper, beginning with us talking briefly about Chizzy's experience working with the late, great Sean Locke. I hope you enjoy it. Ah, but Chizzy, you've just reminded me of something that I read this morning, that when you're talking about comedy, and this is rather a sad thing, and you'll probably guess from that what I'm going to talk about. Which is the fact that you were in an episode of Fifteen Stories High, weren't you?
2: Yeah, it was my first job, first TV job. Wow. Yeah, and Sean and Benedict were wonderful. They were so because I was so. What, what's quite interesting, I was I was nervous, but I was also so oblivious and didn't know what to expect. And I think earlier on in my career, I was a lot more confident because I was not cocky, but I was like, oh well, I've got no, I've got no hang-ups, you know? No. Um, But they were wonderful. They were so lovely to me. Um, But I mean, equally, both of them. And yeah, when I saw Sean had passed, I just immediately thought of that one time that I met him and um, he was just so welcoming. And because it was their show, they were, this is what I love about people who who are the leads of a show when you're a guest. They are the gatekeepers of the show, but they're allowing you to play and be comfortable Because I've walked on shows before, and I'm sure you have as a guest, and the leads have been awful. And you think, look, I'm not here to take your job. I'm just here to, you know, play a part with you, and I'm part of this episode. So they were lovely, welcoming, very welcoming, very funny, the two of them.
0: Because everybody must have been in that situation where you walk in as the new boy or just one episode. Yeah. And it can be quite intimidating. So it's absolutely crucial, I think, that the people who are there every week make that effort. And yep. nearly every show I've ever been on, that's been the case. And every now and again, it's not. And you think, how weird.
2: I mean, it, it takes me back to um, my Holby days. And having the guests each week for a new episode, that kept <clears> it fresh <throat> for me. Because whilst I still... I, you know, I I will not say I loved every cast member I worked with. But... Um, it was nice to just have fresh meat fresh meat to play with it's just a lovely breath of fresh air having new guests and you do really have to look after them because you know everybody as the as the lead you uh, oh, sorry as the ensemble lead
0: no no the lead the lead
2: Even to the, yeah well you know
0: I, I sorry i saw it you were the lead <laughs> You and Paul Bradley.
2: Yeah, exactly. Don't tell certain people because they'll be very upset. Because um, <laughs> the the runners and whatever will tell people where the toilets are. But they'll, when you walk on set, nobody says, okay, here's the toilet. Here's the, the, the. You know, it's when you need the toilet, you say. they might say, hey, where's the toilet? And I'll show them. I even show them where the mm. wall of crisps were because we had this wall <laughs> of boxes of crisps. But it's just little things like that. And also yeah. the big thing, and one guest did say it to me, and I've always thought I was quite good at it, but I guess on this occasion I wasn't. And he was in the bed. Um, and when you're a patient, I don't know if you've been a patient on Holby or Casualty. On both. Ah, did you survive?
0: <laughs> I survived on Casualty. I died on Holby. And then I came back as the vicar for Holby. So, and <laughs> Look
2: there at we that. are. that. Um, so you're strapped up usually. And so if you want to go to the toilet, you literally have to take stuff off. Or you get the medical advisor to, who comes in, take stuff off so you can go to the loo. And so, mm. you know, you finish a take, sometimes we all walk off. And we forget that person's still in the bed. You do have somebody who's very, very new to the show and probably knows nobody, and they're left yeah. in that bed on their own. Yeah, we had some handcuffs in an, an episode um, and someone left them lying around. And of course I took them, because I was a bit of a practical joker. And I handcuffed the essay, lovely David, to one of the beds. And I said, okay. And they said, all right, that's lunch. I said, bye, Dave. And he's like, is somebody going to let me out? And eventually, obviously I let him out, but I thought it was funny. He thought it was hilarious. Yeah. He um he hasn't called since, but, you uh, know, it was, it was it, you know, I just, yeah.
0: All right. Well, there we are. That's it. Well, thank you for talking to me. No, obviously, <laughs> <we've>, <laughs> we're going to talk about some things to put into a time yes. capsule. A time capsule. I wish I had a jingle now at this point. Yes,
2: you need one. Yes. You do wow. need one. Something
0: yeah. dynamic and exciting, you know. But I think it
2: should be your voice, though, saying it.
0: The time capsule.
2: Perfect, and then. <laughs> oh, Mike, you must do that. You must do that.
0: Okay, we'll assume the jingle then, and we're going to talk about five things from your life, four things that you cherish, and one that you'd like to get rid of. Okay, I'm going to burp. Excuse me. My grandson has just learned to burp. Oh. whenever he wants to, it's just that. He's
2: <laughs> how old?
0: What? Twenty one? Thirty two. He's a high court judge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very embarrassing.
2: It's great, though, when you get a really good, but, oh, not in a restaurant.
0: No, no. My father-in-law had a quite an extraordinary burp. I mean, one of those ones that would stop a room. Wow. It, there was never any effort to quieten it down. <laughs> in fact, if anything, it's sort of like, you know, make room, here I go. <laughs> All right, well, let's find out, Chizzy. What's your first thing you're going to put into the time capsule?
2: So the first thing, and I know this is going to sound so boring, yeah but it's got to be family. I feel extremely blessed to have the family that I do. I'm one of six kids, very noisy growing up. Three of us are born 7th, 8th and 10th of October. So in that week, literally people would avoid us because they didn't have to give us presents. I'm the seventh, my sister's the eighth, two years difference. We'd get one present, of course. And one thing I will never, ever forget, and I keep, I always tell people who, when they meet her, and I say, on my birthday at midnight, she would knock my cards off the mantelpiece because it's now her birthday.
1: <laughs>
2: and she is actually a barrister now. And so, you know, I love telling that story to, to her. Her clients. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry you went down, but this is what my sister used to do as a kid. <laughs> yeah. And I've got uh, five nieces, I've got one great niece and now one nephew who's three months old. Oh, I just love, I love family. I love, mm. I, I feel, like I said, I'm very blessed because I know not everybody has family that they can rely on or that they even talk to. And when I hear stories of people saying that they don't talk to their brother or their sister or it hasn't been for years, I get really upset because I can't imagine what that would be like. And I feel sorry for them because, I mean, there's, there's obviously a reason Maybe their brother or sister is is a, you know, whatever. And I don't want to say to them, oh, um, you must talk to them, you must. But I just, in my head, I'm thinking, how bad can it be that you don't want a relationship with this person? You know, I'm not here to say they must. But I couldn't imagine falling out with my brothers or sisters to that extent where we don't talk for that long.
0: So your family, this mm. huge family then, six yes. kids, what, what do your mum and dad do?
2: Um So my mum uh was a midwife and then she opened a nursery at the same time. So a lot oh. of the children that she delivered ended up going to the nursery. Very clever. <laughs> Brilliant. Very profitable. Yeah. Um And my dad was an accountant. <laughs> when I became an actor, he wanted to do my taxes. And I said no, because I didn't want him to know how much money I had. It's not that I had a lot, but I just didn't want him to know that I was earning money. <laughs>
0: yeah, or none.
2: Or none, Either exactly. Way. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There many a times he'd say, you know, how how long are you gonna give this? How long, you know, when are you gonna find something proper? I'm like, well, Daddy, this is this is my career, this is it. my mum used to say, don't give up your day job. Um, that was her favorite saying.
0: And what was your day job?
2: It was signing on at the time. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that obviously was pre-holby. When I got Holby, everything changed for them. Oh mm. I was the golden child, but don't tell the others. <laughs> no.
0: Oh, God, we do worry about your sister and her (laughs) barristering. It's it's such an uncertain future.
2: Yeah, nobody says to her, when are you going to get a proper job?
0: Being a barrister is a very unreliable job. It really is. Rather like an actor, you're judged on your last performance. Yep. So it's not as certain as people think.
2: No, and especially with criminal barrister, um, criminal, um, because solicitors now are allowed to defend you. Yes. Yeah, it's very uncertain.
0: Well, so come on, describe to me a family get-together.
2: Um, pretty much everybody at my mum's there'd always be at least one brother or sister who wasn't there, but because we had most of the nieces there, it just made up numbers um always noisy, but good, noisy, you know yeah um, and there'd be food on the table, sort of buffet style you just help yourself. We never sat around well when we were kids, we did but as adults, we never sat around a table and ate as a family. Never. Um, so it'd just be pretty much you grab what you want and if it needs heating up, put it in the microwave, heat it up, mm-hmm. eat, and then sit, talk, laugh, whatever, and then go back for more food. Um, mm-hmm. Food is pretty much, I'd say, one of the cornerstones of an African household. Everyone gets together around the food and there's always too much food. There's always <laughs> enough for you to take away in your little containers at the end of the night. You know, and my mum, my mum, oh my gosh, she had so many containers because she, she obviously went to Costco and she got all those uh, <laughs> takeaway containers, and and she used to do parties as well, so there's always containers for people to take away food, and yeah, it was always a really fun, chaotic atmosphere. There was never any structure to it, which I loved. I
0: mean, almost impossible. Once you get to being adults, if you're all going to turn up with partners and you know wives, husbands, those sort of things, and then maybe children as well, yeah, for all of you to sit at a table, you'd you'd need the just a huge thing, wouldn't you? In, 15, yeah.
2: 20 people. Absolutely. And I always, you know, we see um, on Christmas Day, sometimes when I'm dr- I was driving to my mum's, I'd see families walking. And I'm thinking they've probably already had their dinner and I'm going up there <laughs> now to have mine. Uh, and, and on TV and films, you see people, everyone sat around and said, nah, could never happen with us. Never. I don't even think as a kid, did we do it? Normally of a day, you know, normal of a normal day after school, we'd sit around the table. And not always with both parents because one was working late or, um, mm-hmm. you know, my mum did a lot of on calls because she was a midwife. Um, so she'd be out all night and come home really early in the morning when we we're off to school. So sometimes, you know, we wouldn't even see her of an evening.
0: So where was that then?
2: That was Newham, yeah, East London. Um, that was her haunting ground. She was a community midwife as well. So she would then go to their houses once they were discharged, the mothers and... Um, check on the baby, check on the mum, make sure everybody's all right. And occasionally, my sister and I and a couple of friends, we'd, uh, on a Saturday, we'd go to work with her. (laughs) And people would let us into their houses, we'd see their babies. It was just all really sweet and lovely. Uh, Yeah, Uh, brilliant. And then my mum would turn to us and say, make sure you don't have kids young. Don't have kids young. We're like, okay, but you know, you're literally shoving babies in our face. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But that was always a treat. But we'd have to get up really early, which was annoying, because obviously, you know, weekends... Is when you sleep, you sleep in because you've been getting up early for school. Yeah, but it was great once we went there. It once we got up and and got in the car, it was always fun because we were going to see babies.
0: Yeah, what a fantastic way to have spent your life, though. Yeah, I think.
2: Yeah, it really. I mean, was. there must be
0: thousands and thousands of people that she brought into the world.
2: Yeah, yeah, and she never had one death. Really, not one stillborn. No. And unfortunately, oh, wow. she had to take early retirement because, um, it messed up her back. So she was in her fifties when she retired, but the nursery was still going, um, cause she just loves children. And she, uh, how we used to call her house half term hotel because she'd always have people's kids <laughs> around there, you know. And if, if someone gave birth and they were struggling, she would have them at her house and look after them. Wow, she was amazing. I say was because she passed. She passed quite recently, but she's she was a tour de force. She was a very strong woman, mm. very strong, um, and she kind of taught. She kind of taught us. I'm not, and I'm not just the girls because I'm three boys, three girls, and you know, I'm my family. And she didn't just teach the girls; she also taught the boys how to be strong, strong adults. You know, mm-hmm. um, and also the work her work ethic was incredible. Sometimes she would work in Holloway Prison overnight in the maternity wing you know she she the woman was a workhorse amazing she, yeah she really was yeah my
0: mother was mm. the same my mother was a nurse and then uh, when mm. she retired became a murray curie nurse
2: oh wow
0: and she used to sit with people with who were dying she would do that through the night mm. and then in the morning would sit there have a cup of tea a piece of toast and then clean the house
2: right yeah it's crazy isn't
0: it they're amazing people yeah they really are I know.
2: Oh, I can weekly actors who complain because we've got a gap at 6am to be driven to set.
0: <laughs> I know. I haven't had a coffee. Nobody's offered me breakfast. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I know. Oh, my oh, I, God. I, I, yeah, I did crazy. tweet a photograph of myself the other day in the back of a car being driven around the N25 going to work. And I just thought... Even to this day, even now, after all these years, I look at it and think to myself, oh, my God, this is ridiculous.
2: <laughs> Isn't it just? On Holby, yeah. um, unless you were under 16 or over 70-something, you had to drive yourself. So, yeah, I was on the motorway right. at 6am, grumbling. <laughs> you know? and the, But then you do have to look at yourself and think, I'm working in probably the one of the best industries in the world. There's people out there who would do our job for free, and I'm yeah. complaining because I have to drive myself ridiculous
0: yeah and millions of people who are absolutely devoted to those programs
2: oh holby i mean i'm so i'm i'm really gutted for everybody who's still on it who because you know obviously the show's coming to an end um Mm. especially the production team because you know some a lot of them have been together for 20 years it's it's really really sad and it's it's a good really good show it's it's literally one of the things that I wanted to put on my list of five I've had two really um career defining jobs and Holby was one of them yeah it totally just changed the the trajectory of my career and I I will f- be forever grateful to the people who decided to give me a chance
0: it will be very strange to go to Elstree and that tower block will not be Holby yeah it's very odd
2: it is, yeah. You you know, you're always walking past, and you'll see somebody in scrubs, or somebody with blood in their head, and or going to lunch, <laughs> and they're you know they've got stitches. And no, I'm I'm really sad. I'm really sad. I hope it gets a reprieve, or someone else takes it on, because it deserves to stay on the air. Yeah, it's a it really great does. drama. It is a really yeah. good
0: drama. I think. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it's far more difficult than people realise. I think. Yeah. That form of acting, which is mm. that to a large extent, most of what you're saying. It's just conversation. It's just having a chat. Very true. And and you get pages and pages of script where people are talking about fairly mundane things. Now, you know, admittedly on Holby, quite often medical based, but not Mm -hmm. necessarily. You know, what did you do? Did you go shopping? Did you, you know, how's your mum? Those sort of things. Uh, And those are the most difficult lines to say. The I love you, I adore you lines are easy. Mm. the passionate lines are that mm. i always think are, are easy although i'm furious i'm really angry any actor can do that yeah but doing the morning sure. they're the difficult ones
2: you're right and also let's not forget the um the medical jargon because <laughs> that oh that's fun oh the <laughs> that is a word that i will that's imprinted in my brain literally oh my day sometimes you get the script you go i'm sorry i what now how am I supposed to say that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep, I always feel for the ambulance crew when they're bringing oh the body gosh. in. That's yeah. casualty more, though, isn't it? Yes. Where they bring them in and they, they give a list of all the things that are wrong with them and all the medications that they've had and they do it really yes. quickly and then they leave.
2: Every script, you must open it and go, oh, no, it's me. And it's a walk and talk, so it's usually shot in one. <laughs> so if you mess it yeah. up right at the end, you've got to start again. Oh, God, yes, of course. The pressure.
0: Imagine being a brain surgeon, really. Oh my
2: gosh, Really?
0: I've never been trusted to hold a scalpel. I don't blame them. <laughs> the very first time I had to record something in an operating theater. we did it once, and then we did it again, and halfway through it, I was suddenly overtaken by the fact that there was blood spurting everywhere, and I just fell over. I fainted.
2: <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah, really. Oh my gosh. I never fainted. I'm not one of those people who, who fears blood or anything, but I do remember my very first operation and it was putting a heart and lung, it was a heart and lung transplant. And I just remember that cavity was open, the body, and I was just staring. And then they put the heart and lung in and I forgot my lines because I was literally, because they, they pumped the, the, you know, got a prosthetic, <laughs> prosthetic person underneath the bed pumping the heart. And I f- mm. actually forgot my lines because I was in awe of what I was seeing. Absolute incredible I mean the prosthetics at Holby City are incredible it's, it's to the point where you, you kind of go are you using real organs is this a black market gig because they look <laughs> phenomenal
0: you know um, that is always the moment where I get up and go and make a cup of tea <laughs> I, I'm really
2: useless <laughs> but it looks real doesn't it it does and that blood looks real so yeah
0: <laughs> let's stop talking about it otherwise right, okay. you're going to see me okay, okay <laughs> right, good. thank you Okay, good. We're going to put your lovely family into the time capsule. Don't worry, they'll be safe. Thank you. That's your first item. Brilliant. So um, what's your second thing?
2: I think the second thing is going to be the two career-defining moments so far in my career.
0: Yeah, so one is Holby.
2: Yeah, one is Holby, which, like I said, it it literally just changed the trajectory of my career. It's a wonderful job to do. Mm. It really is. I mean, you're working all the time. And that's, as an actor... That is a godsend. So Holby, definitely. And um, and then the second one, and I wasn't in it for long, but Strictly. <laughs> and Strictly is one of those gorgeous, glamorous, magical shows, which I think practically everybody wants to be on. And when I got the opportunity, I was really quite overweight. And I thought, if I ever get to do Strictly, I want to be slim. And say so, you know, I can wear those short dresses and be really fit. Because I used to be really fit. I used to do karate. And over time that went and fitness went and the waistline went. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know, I've been offered it. I'm not going to say no, because I don't know if next year I could say, right, no, I'm not going to do it this year. I'm going to work out and get really slim, but they might not offer it next year. So I took it. Sadly, I ended my knee and I went out first. And at the time, obviously it was it was painful, mm. emotionally painful. But with hindsight now, I'm thinking it was probably best for my knee because my knee could have got a lot worse but the reason why I want to put it in the capsule is because it then changed my career again. So whilst I'm still an actor, I started getting offered jobs to present stuff and, you know, become a host and people and more uh, game shows, which I love. Um, <laughs> so I, got, I started getting more jobs, you know, which showed my personality. Ooh. And I think that's what Strictly did because most people just knew me from Holby. So, yeah, it was Strictly, it literally opened more doors to do the more entertainment into the entertainment world yeah
0: it's funny isn't it It only takes that one little thing doesn't it yeah i mean not that strictly as a little thing but it takes that one little appearance where somebody will say yeah. oh my god she's really funny or she's really entertaining yeah and then the whole thing opens up
2: it's wonderful i mean i, I started getting being co- correspondent for lorraine and then loose women got in touch and so i did loose women for i think about a year and a half on and off and there's been other stuff i've hosted my own cookery show i've been considered for other stuff and it makes you wonder you know at the time obviously first out you think that's it everything's over i'm not going to do anything again <laughs> um but who knows if i'd gone halfway through maybe i would have got boring and people wouldn't have taken to me that the way they have so i'm extremely grateful for that short brief appearance on strictly because it literally has changed my career
0: yes there was a time when you either did one thing or you did the other that if you started going down that road in a way the world of being a celebrity, as it were, that that would put an end to the possibility of then pretending to be someone else because people would say, well, we know who you are, so you can't then come on and act. But that has completely changed now. There's no reason why you can't do both things.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you look at Bradley Walsh. He's the host of, I think, my favourite game show ever, The Chase, and obviously Beat the Chasers. But he he also has a a thriving acting career, a number one album. So we can do it all. I think we have to be very strategic at what we choose to do. But um, I'm just so grateful and slightly, you know, still a bit surprised in the way that my career has gone. And really truly, I do believe that is down to Strictly.
0: Mm. And I know it looks like one week to people when they see that thing. You come on, you're gone. Mm. But in fact, you would have done all that training before then. How many weeks of dancing did you do up to the point where you actually oh did the first week?
2: Gosh, So the first week, it was, we all met and learnt the group dance. Mm. And then that following Monday, which was a bank holiday Monday, we had the reveal. And that was amazing because it was outside. So we had a crowd and everything. And then, of course, a couple of days later, we filmed when we got our partners. And then from then, you go off and you have two weeks to learn your first dance. And nobody goes out that week. And then the next week is when, is the first vote. (laughs) So, yeah, so that's about, what, four weeks, I think, four weeks of dancing. Mm. And I was losing weight and I was getting fitter. And it just felt like things were changing for the better, um, body-wise and mentally-wise.
0: It must have been disappointing at the time. I'm not going
2: to lie, it was painful, Mike. It was really painful. Mm, I bet, yeah. Um, And it's it's weird because obviously the show's still going and you've got people in it who you really like. And it kind of feels like you're watching your boyfriend break up with you every week and he's still out partying. (laughs) But, yeah, it was painful at the time. But I'm so such such a good place now.
0: For me, the real pain would be. Oh no, I really wanted to see Claudia Winkleman every week.
2: She's really lovely. Yeah, I love that fringe. That fringe that she can't see out of, <laughs> I think, is perfect. She, no, she, and she's very funny, very quick witted. Oh, she's great. Yeah, yeah, she's wonderful.
0: There's a lot of work goes into being that good at something.
2: Absolutely, and look amazing as well. <laughs> you know. Kudos to whoever does the outfits on who does her. I don't know who does her outfits because I know who does the dances, mm-hmm. but I don't know who does hers.
0: Well, I don't like to boast, but you know.
2: Right. <laughs> <Mike. laughs>
0: Little side job I've got Add going. That to your
2: bow. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm going to take strictly then, and I'm going to take Holby and put them together and uh, put them into the time capsule for you as your second item. So, you can always go back and revisit. Whoosh! Lovely. It's just an astonishing
2: amount of glitter I've just put in there. <laughs> You'll be finding that in weeks to come <laughs> in places that you never knew existed. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I've done Panto.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. Let's move on to item number three. Right. Well, I'm having fun. So, I hope you're enjoying this podcast. We do have to take a short advertising break here, but we'll be back in a minute.
1: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: Welcome back. Okay, let's find out what the next thing is that Chizzy Agadulu would like to put in her time capsule, and whether she sees it as a good thing or something she'd like to bury and forget.
2: Number three. Now this, you might think, why would she want to put that in the time capsule to remember and to cherish? But this is something that has not so much defined me, but it's also helped me become the person I am today. Mm -hmm. And that is my depression. Um, I was diagnosed, I think, 2015 uh, with depression. Kind of knew something was wrong a lot sooner than that, earlier than that, Mm -hmm. but... um, just, it was one of those where you just go, Oh, oh no, well, it can't be depression. I'm, fu- I'm, I'm chizzy. I'm happy. And you just tell yourself to snap out of it. And it just started getting too much to bear. And I was at Holby at the time. So, yeah, this is one a, a part of my career for the first time where I'm working constantly. I'm loving what I'm doing. I'm getting paid every week. I'm feeling quite stable mm. financially. And I can't stop crying. Yeah. Uh. And I can't stop, I can't, there was times where I felt like I was missing my cue to talk in conversations. That's, that, that's one way I, I just describe it, that I'd be sitting talking to people and I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to say something now and I can't think of anything to say. I've just gone totally blank. And then you'd hear, I'd be maybe in the makeup room and I'd hear people on the other side laughing. And I'd be like, why aren't I laughing? Why not, Why am I not joining in with them? Mm. And then it just finally came to a head. I was in my dressing room uh, one morning um, and I couldn't leave the room. Um, and uh, I called uh, Helen, who's uh, who's the costume designer, who is my soul sister. And uh, we'd been talking before and I said, you know, I think I'm depressed, I think I'm depressed. And I just couldn't leave the room. She just held me. I was bawling. Uh, I just had a, I had a breakdown, basically. Wow. And um, I was a little bit worried because I thought, oh, well, then they're, they're probably going to get rid of me now because how can you if your character is quite bubbly and happy, how are you going to portray that if you're crying all the time? And I, one after one, producers came into my room and they were just fantastic with me. You know, if one was one was telling me about their story um, or their partner's story or family members, you know, and just saying how how normal depression is um, mm. and that I shouldn't feel um, the way that I'm feeling in that, you know, there's no shame to it. Because there is no shame. No, all
0: fault. Um, there's it, certainly no fault. All fault, no. yes.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it came at a time when I was really happy. So it's, it, was, it was so confusing. Mm. And um, in the end, I was diagnosed with it. And um, I was put on, uh, I was told it was uh, serotonin. I was lacking serotonin. So I was put on antidepressants, asked if I wanted to go on them. And I said, I think it's time. I need something to at least get me to a place where I can function
0: how long did they take to work?
2: Seven days. Seven days. Seven days. They were wonder. I'm very lucky because the ones they put me on, I'm still on today. Whereas I've got friends who are on the same one, but they've had to change mm. because it didn't work for them. So this one worked really within seven days. Um,
0: so I don't really know much about this. So I'm talking from a point of view of of ignorance mm-hmm. that I've heard that sometimes there are certain antidepressants that, that from a, a while, push you the other way before they start to work. Is that true? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Mm. I was very lucky that mine literally just helped me stop crying. Mm. I still I still felt, you know, the the pressure and that overwhelming feeling of, um, I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry, mm. I'm going to cry. Oh, my gosh. And you do do that thing of just get to your dressing room, get to your dressing room. Don't let everybody see. Just get to your dressing room. Hold it in. Don't talk to anybody. I remember we were on location. I was just walking back to the Winnebago. Yeah. Um which is such a weird word. Uh, <laughs> and um, I was just literally like, don't cry, don't cry. Just hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Hold it. Just get it done. I got into the bag, changed my clothes. Um, I got into my car. My driver was like, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm absolutely fine. Balling, Balling. Um, But yes, yeah, so, so the antidepressants um, helped me to feel a little happier. Mm. But really therapy has helped me deal with depression. I still get it every now and again. It comes... Um, I've only really had it once as almost as bad as the first time. The first breakdown was the worst. Mm. Um, And I'm really grateful it happened at work because had it happened at home, I probably would have just cried and gone to bed. Yeah. Whereas I was forced to deal with it. And that's the thing with our mental health. We have to deal with it. It's... Like I said, you said, know, there's no blame. It's nobody's fault. It, it's, it's our health at the end of the day and something has gone wrong. You have to deal with it. You have to get it sorted.
0: Yeah, that's incredibly revealing. I've never heard anybody say that before. And, and, and I now mm. suddenly have a, a, an inkling of what you're talking about. Everything else is happening at a different speed and a pace to you and you're not part of it.
2: I remember using the word discombobulated and it's one of those words I've never used. And to this day, I kind of don't really know what it means, but it, it felt, it, I just, I, everything felt wrong. It, it wasn't how I'm used to feeling. And like I said, that whole thing of, oh, I've got to say something, but I'm, I can't because I've got absolutely nothing in my head. Nothing. Whatsoever, apart from this overwhelming feeling of sadness, and I couldn't join. I just couldn't join in in conversation. It was so bizarre. And you know, anybody who knows me knows me as woo fun time cheesy. So I was hiding it for a long time. And then when it did happen, I remember someone said to me, "Oh, you know, don't cheer up." And I just thought, "You have no idea, no idea." And my therapist did say, "If you feel comfortable." tell people when you're going through it because you don't want them to think that you're just being a miserable cow. Mm. Tell them, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling at the moment and that's the thing, I'm very open about my mental health. It doesn't defy me and mm. it is something that I suffer from but I, I deal with it and it, it, it helps in a way it's kind of, when you are going through it, this is what I find anyway, it's the one time that I'm thinking only about myself and I'm looking after myself properly because I, I know I have to get through it, I have to get better. And so I really take care of myself when I am low. Just like we look after our own physical health. Yeah. We should treat our mental health exactly the same way. I mean, the very first time, the 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 first breakdown, um, I was I I don't want to say I was wanted to kill myself because I didn't, but I wanted I wanted a break. I wanted something to happen that would take me away and give me a break. From yourself. I don't want to say. But I just did, I didn't want to I didn't want to be around anybody, I didn't want to be around anything. I just wanted to I just wanted a break. Mm. But mm. that's why I'm putting depression in as something that is a good thing because it has helped me understand more of who I am and also who other people are. There's so many people, so many yeah. of us out there who are struggling with some, with some kind of mental health issue, and some of us aren't dealing with it. And I always advocate to people, I say, oh my gosh. Therapy, people say, Oh, I can't afford it. Well, there's an 18 month waiting list on the NHS. I said, But you know what's free? The Samaritans, mind sane. There's so many charities out there who will sit and listen to you. They don't even know what you look like because you've called them
0: up. No, absolutely.
2: They're not logging your call. I think it takes a special kind of person to be able to be a Samaritan.
0: Yeah. And that is absolutely what they're there for is not to judge you, mm. they're there to listen completely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Mm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Wow.
0: Thank you for talking about that, actually. I, I, I no found problem. that really enlightening. It's a thing I don't know anything about particularly, and I'm I'm sort of ashamed
2: to say that. That's okay. I didn't know really anything about it until I started struggling and then had to look into it. I was forced to look into it. I was forced to confront it. It is what it is.
0: Yes, And I do wonder how many other people have that and don't recognise it themselves or admit it to themselves and therefore are unhappy and miserable and, in fact, wrecking their lives when they don't need to.
2: Mm, Absolutely.
0: There we are. Okay? Yes. We shall put that into the time capsule as a positive thing. Yes. Well done. Thank you. And and we will move on.
2: So the next thing is something that I'm putting in as a very, very bad thing and I wish I hadn't wasted so much of my life. On this, and that is my weight. Uh, I have struggled with my weight for I don't know how long. Uh, I've done fad diets, I've done this, I've done that. One time I lost four and a half stone drinking liquids (laughs) and I looked ill, and then the weight went back on, and then some. But then also I think about my 20s when I thought I was really big and I look back on pictures, I wish I was that big again because I wasn't big at all, you know? No. I was. It's the sort of time when I could go into a shop and, and just buy a pair of long boots and zip them up and they would fit rather than having to go to a specialist shop that does wide-fitting boots. I wasted so much time trying to get what I thought was the perfect body and there is no such thing. There's a healthy body, and that's what I should have been aiming for. I just wish I hadn't wasted so much time obsessing over my weight.
0: Mm. And like you say, a healthy body is a completely different thing yeah. to different people. Yes. Are you telling me that an Olympic shot putter is not healthy? Mm-hmm. Fantastically fit.
2: Yes, yes. I mean, Serena Williams, you know, she she people are always <sighs> commenting about her body negatively. To me, she looks incredible. Mm -hmm. And I would love a body like that. I would love to be muscular and fit. I don't know if it's going to happen. It might do, but I'm not going to obsess over it anymore. Food and the way that I look cannot control me for the rest of my life. I've given it too much time.
0: Yeah, the only reason to be concerned about your size, anybody's to be concerned about their size, is if it's making you unhealthy.
2: Yeah. When I got really slim, I want to lose more because, you know, it got quite addictive. But I look back on pictures, and I did look ill. I looked gaunt, and I because I've got a big head, so I had a big lollipop head. Um, it <laughs> didn't look good, and um, I'm used to my curves, and they'd gone. So, of course, then I started eating again because I wanted to get the curves back. Lost control, put on back all the weight, put on loads more besides. So now I'm really just about trying to get healthy.
0: Yes, because it's a problem in all ways. It's a problem in bulimia and anorexia mm. and people overeating as an obsession. And as a society, we are constantly being told that the way we look is wrong. Mm. Almost everybody is in the category of you don't look right. Yeah. And there's got to be something wrong with that, surely. Yes.
2: And I think the BMI, I, I hear that they're they're trying to change it now because the BMI cannot be a one size fits all. I remember when I did lose the most of my weight, I got down to I'd say ten thirteen. People thought I was eight stone. And according to the BMI, I was overweight. And I looked mm. gaunt. Yeah. So it can't be a one size fits all. And I've got, like I said, I've got five nieces. And what's really important to me is that they don't take on the, you know, the hangups that I've had or that my sisters have had or that my mum had. And they're all different sizes and different shades. And they're beautiful. And they, they, they're very confident in themselves, which I love. Because mm. I didn't have that. I was always chasing a, a body that was not really for me. And then when I got it, I didn't look good. I didn't look healthy at all.
0: And you don't feel right? No. My dad always said that um, my dad went between big and small and fat and slim. Mm-hmm. And he was only a very short man, but he was got quite large at one point. Mm-hmm. I said to him, you're getting overweight. And he said, I'm not overweight. I'm just three foot too small. <laughs> that's the way to look at it, I think. <laughs> That's brilliant. Just grow a bit bigger.
2: Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Because if we were a little bit taller, we would stretch out and the fat would stretch... Oh, there you are. Your dad's a genius. He's
0: a genius. That's all we need. We don't need slimming pills. We need growth pills.
2: We need to be a land of giants. (laughs) What's quite funny is I have quite small feet. So I'm not really destined to be a big girl, but um, I've tried the skinny and it didn't work. So... Something in between. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, you, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. All right, well, let's put your obsession with your shape and your size and your weight, and let's chuck it away. That's yeah. gone. Go. Okay, brilliant. See ya. So I think we've got one final item to put in, haven't we?
2: Yes, we have. And I was toying with this idea with this one, um, mm-hmm. but he means the world to me, so I'm, I'm going to put him in. And this is my cat.
0: Uh
2: huh. My cat bootsy. So 39 into 40, you go, Oh gosh, oh my gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to be 40. I'm going to be 40. Oh, God, it's going to be awful. You turn 40 and you're like, Oh, okay. That wasn't super too, too bad. It's 41 that messes you <laughs> up because when you have your 40th, you can have a big party and it's like, Hey, I'm 40. Woo you know mm-hmm. people said to me when you hit, hit your 40s you don't care what people say about you anymore you just live your life and then 41 was like oh it's just a bit uh, uh. <laughs> so and I was feeling really lonely and um, people said "I'll oh, get a dog and I said like, I can't get a dog I can't walk a dog I haven't got time get a cat I was like mm, nah 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 cats no cats cats leave hair everywhere they're evil they don't love you they don't give you the attention you need and my friend Michael Thompson who was on the show with me Holby mm-hmm. He had two ragdolls and he said, cheers, get a cat, get a kitten. Trust me. And I got this kitten and he was 12 weeks old and he was tiny and literally held him for the first time. I was like, oh my God, he's so adorable. And I got him home and he peed in the plant pot. <laughs> he ripped stuff up. And of course you give him the food that he was on previously because you can't just suddenly change his food. His poo Dang. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And this kitten, because I was going to work so early, I used to get my niece to come around and babysit him because he couldn't be on his own. And um, I'd get home, maybe 6, 7pm, and this kitten would just go crazy. He'd have this thing, what they call a mad half hour, where he's running up and down everywhere. And he'd try, <laughs> always trying to get my food. I was like, get off, get off, get off. And one time I'd put him off being on the sofa and he literally ran around the side of the sofa jumped on the arm of the sofa and leapt at my face to get my food and I was like no, no this 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 cat is crazy and I, was, I remember saying it at work I was like no does anybody want this kitten? I can't I can't handle him and people were like Chizzy no you have to keep him you have to give him away I said I don't have to do anything I don't have to do anything actually I kept putting him up on a website advertising you know and uh, people would call and I'd say oh no actually it's gone because I'd be like oh no why am I doing this and then I'd put him on again and say oh no he's gone And um, so I was hosting this show uh, called Monologue Slam, at Stratford Theatre. Yeah. And it was uh, at 8pm, so I went straight from work. I was at work all day, in the car, straight to the theatre, finished the show, got home about 10.30. So I hadn't seen him all day. And prior to that, he hadn't been in my bedroom. I wouldn't allow him to come into my bedroom. Mm -hmm. And because I hadn't seen him all day, I was like, okay, you can come to the bedroom. And then he fell asleep on the bed. (laughs) And that was it. (laughs) That was it. I was like, I, A, I can never not let him in the bed again. And B, I can't give him away. He's just too precious. I love this boy so much. And whenever I'm depressed, he is right by my side and he won't go out. He's amazing. I, I lo- <laughs> I, it's before getting Bootsy, I didn't really know what a cat was. They are so loving. If you give them love, they are unbelievably loving. They're not like dogs, but you know, dogs are like love me, love me, love me. Yeah. No, cat is like, well, I'll give you a bit of love, and then you know, I'm buggering off. And that's what I love about him. Also, he's so loving, but he's also very independent. He doesn't need me all the time.
0: Actually, strangely, I think until you need them, it's very weird how they know that. Yeah. But my son had a bad time when he was a teenager, and we had a cat who just mm. sat by him. I mean, just leant against him. Oh. You could see this cat just knew this person needed someone there.
2: They really do give you love. Yes, it's not that constant love, but trust me, it's, it's when they even just come and just put their paw on your arm. You know, there's so much in that. A lot of the time it's feed me, but there's times where it's just, just letting you know, yeah, I'm here. I adore him so much. He He literally has changed my life. Occasionally, I need to say you love him more than you love us. I say, well, uh, and they go, "What? You can't even answer that question." <laughs>
0: the well is enough,
2: right? Exactly. Yeah. He needs me more than you need me. You know, so yeah, he's he's wonderful, wonderful little boy. Bootsy, is that right? Bootsy, yeah. Great. He's got three white boots and one little sock.
0: <laughs>
3: I
2: love him. Oh, he's wonderful.
0: We all do now. You've done it for us. Oh. So I'm I'm jealous of your time capsule. It's really lovely. I've got your mother with the food yeah. already, shouting, yeah. Andrea, Andrea, come and get your food. <laughs> Did she call
2: you Andrea? No, she didn't. Nobody called me Andrea. Nobody. <laughs> my parents wanted us to have an African first name and an English second name. Yeah. But none of us use our English names. I don't even use my proper name. I use Chizzy which is, was given to me by my uncle when I was about four, because I was running around. He said, call me Busy Chizzy. Oh, and uh, it stuck. Yeah. What is your real name then? Chisaba, which means God save us. What a great name. Thank you. My surname, Akadulu. Mm-hmm. So I think you can imagine what song people would sing. No idea at all. No, no idea whatsoever. No. And what's funny as an adult is when people sing it, they say, am I the first person? I'm like, No. Not in the slightest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> As if. Oh, and my right? God. Well, uh... just for you, I recorded... You're going
2: to play it? You're
0: no, gonna... <laughs> I recorded I, I recorded the piss take of that. I'm the voice who sang the chicken song.
2: No way! Yes Cold way. a chicken in the air, stick a dick chair up. That was you! That, that's, that, me. that's That's a classic. Oh, my gosh, Mike, that's classic. Let me ask you a question. Okay. If you had a time capsule, would you put that song in?
0: Now the question is, would I put it in as a good thing or a bad thing? Mm. (laughs) Chizzy, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you. And thank you so much for telling me the things for your time capsule. What a joy.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful.
0: You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my wonderful guest, Chizzy Akadulu. Please do click on subscribe on the podcast player you've chosen to listen to this podcast on and maybe rate and review the show. You can follow me or my time capsule on lots of social media. I'm at Fenton Stevens on Twitter, and my time capsule is at my TC pod. That's just for example. But I'm sure you can find us if you look for lots of tweets about what's coming up and what we're up to. This was a cast off production. The producer was John Fenton Stevens. The theme tune was written by Pass the Peas Music and you can listen to it anytime you like on Spotify, where you can also listen to this podcast. In fact, most things are available on Spotify. Ironically, one of the few songs that you can't listen to on Spotify is the anti taking the mick out of the surname akadulu song, The Chicken Song, which is a shame. But I know the people who wrote it, so I think they may forgive this. For the first time since 1986, and especially for Chizzy and the people who take the mickey out of her name...
3: It's the time of year, now that spring is in the air, when those two wet gits with their girly curly hair make another song for moronic holidays that nauseate, ate, ate in a million different ways. From the shores of Spain to the coast of southern France, no matter where you hide, you just can't escape this dance. Hold a chicken in the air, stick a deck chair up your nose, buy a jumbo jet, and then bury on your clothes, paint your left knee green, then extract your wisdom teeth, form a string quartet, and pretend your name is Keith. Skin yourself alive Learn to speak Arapaho Climb inside a dog And behead an Eskimo Eat a Renault 4 Wear salami in your ears Casserole your gran Disembowel yourself with spears The disco is vibrating The sound is loud and grating It's truly nauseating Let's do the dance again Hold a chicken in the air. Stick a deck chair up your nose. Yes, you'll hear this song in the holiday discos. And there's no escape in the clubs or in the bars. You will hear this song if you holidayed in Mars. Skin yourself alive. Learn to speak a rapaho. Climb inside a dog and behead an Eskimo. Now you're You've heard it once, your brain will spring a leak. And though you hate this song, you'll be harming it for weeks. Come on now. Hum- a chicken in the air. Stick a deck chair up your nose. Buy a jumbo jet and then bury all your clothes. La 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 la. 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 La Oi.
0: Yes, I know I'm mad.
3: Bye.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?